Okay, so um, Philippians 1, verse 18, and we're going to start in the middle of the verse, and I'm going to read for a little bit because of I think my version is probably different than yours in terms of where it... <laughs> yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now as always in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which I prefer. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy and faith, so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. That's where the paragraph ends in my version, which is NRSV, just for the record. (laughs) I like your wording there where it said that the fact that he's saying that even though he would rather be with Christ, he uh, needs to stay, which is better for them. At least that's what I'm reading it at. It says, but if I were to live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet it is not what I choose. For I am in a strait between, uh, between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. That's mm-hmm. 23, 24, mm-hmm. 25. Mm-hmm. And it says, in having this confidence, I know I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy in the faith. So what I'm understanding that to say is that you know he would rather be with Christ, but he knows that they need him, so that's where he's at. Mm-hmm. And he's come to that understanding mm-hmm. and at peace with it or whatever. Yeah, and, and Adventists have had a long wrestling match with, um, I prefer to be with Christ, depart and be with Christ. Yeah. Because that sounds like uh, the immortality of the soul teaching. I, I personally see it's no problem because... When, if death is like a sleep, yeah, and it's even better than a sleep. By sleep, you can kind of be half awake, but it's a t- intense sleep, and the next moment you wake up, thinking that you just had a little nap. Yeah, you're that new hot flashes. <laughs> that would be wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I might get a decent night's sleep. Huh? Oh, man. <laughs> Just once I'd like to have a night, like when I was a teenager, and you didn't want the nights to go quick, and you went to sleep, and the next thing you knew, the alarm was going off for school, and it was like, You oh. felt good and rested. <laughs> yeah, because you slept so sad. <laughs> yeah. If I don't eat lots of sugar, I sleep better. Because my hot flashes, I have found they're directly linked to sugar, sugar, processed sugar. Like if I have um, homemade ice cream, which we make with raw sugar, I don't have as many. But if I eat processed sugar, chocolate bars, or 
Oreo cookies if they're in the house. Or it sounds to me like it else. could be chocolate exacerbating your hot flashes. There you go. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that was that was that was, <laughs> that was not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> because a day without chocolate is a day without sunshine in my book. So <laughs> you know, it would be interesting just to try it and see. But I don't eat chocolate every day. We're off topic, so. Anyway, um, (laughs) he believes in in this passage that he's going to be delivered. And his goal is not to be put to shame in any way, but to speak with all boldness. I I watched a really interesting video last night put out by Adventist World Radio. It was advertised in the recorder. And the little bit of story that they shared made me want to look at the rest. And so I, I looked at it, and it was about an Islamic man named Wisam, who was born and raised in Nazareth, hmm. Israel. And he... He was taught all of the teachings of the Quran. He memorized large portions of the Quran. He prayed daily, but he felt this emptiness inside. And he couldn't seem to fill it. He he tried reading more of the Quran and memorizing more of the Quran and praying more times a day. And nothing took the emptiness away. And finally he decided to leave home. His family was very upset and angry that he would leave. And they threatened to take all his possessions. But he managed to pack enough of his possessions. and He went out the door. And he traveled to... He, he went wandering around. Uh, and he got ended up getting a job working as a assistant in a, in a dining room or some, something like that, a food service. And then one day he met a man who was a maf- in the mafia, and the, ma- and the man wanted him to be his bodyguard. He said he really admired his karate skills and, and things like that, and, and he wanted him to be in, in uh, the mafia. And he said, no, absolutely not. And so the man says, well, I'm going to kill you. And he ended up getting shot multiple times. And he got, he woke up in a, he was totally uh, out, and he was he woke up in a hotel room, and he found out that whoever brought him to the hotel room had paid for his stay several days and mm-hmm. had dressed his wounds, hmm. and he never found out who it was. Hmm. And so he, when he healed from that, he didn't know what to do, so he finally called his mother. And she said, son, he wanted to get a hold of his sister who lived in Austria. And first thing his mother said, son, your sister wants to get in touch with you. You must call her. And she gave him the number. So he called his sister. She sent him a ticket by train, I think it was, to come to Austria. And so he came to Austria, and a man met him at the station who gave him a big hug and took him to a college in Austria that happened to be an Adventist college, so it had to be Bogenhofen. 
and found out that this man who hugged him, and it was the first hug he'd ever had in his whole life. No one had ever hugged him before. He found out this man was the pastor of the church, and he was thrilled that he'd gotten onto a Christian campus because now he could win all these souls for Allah. (laughs) He was going to make the whole campus Islamic. And so uh, he he was very assertive and bold and... And he terrified the students by telling them they were going to go to hell if they didn't accept Allah. And consequently, they contacted his sister and said, Would you please get your, take your, your brother out of here? And his sister begged, let him stay one year. And if he's not doing better by the end of that year, um, I'll come and get him. So he stayed there at the end of the year. And towards the end, he ended up, well, no, before the end of the year, he had visa problems. They notified him that he had to come and deal with his visa problems. So he asked his boss if he could get off work. And the boss said, no, I'm not going to let you go. You have all this work to do. And he gave him 13 hours of work. Backing up a bit, he was sitting in the field after working, and he fell asleep. And he had this dream of a great bright light and a voice saying, You are mine. And he woke up, and a theology professor was coming toward him with an orange. And he said, I have an orange from Israel. Are you from Israel? And he said, Yes. So he handed him the orange and walked away. And he thought that was kind of strange. So he he had a dream again. So he, he fell asleep again. And he dreamed the same thing. And again, the same theology professor came and gave him another orange. This happened three times. With the same voice saying, you are mine. So the third time, he said to the theology professor, I would like to meet your God. So they started studying with him. He came baptized as an Adventist and in time to help with being a part of his sister's wedding. who was, She was marrying a pastor. Adventist pastor, which of course he was very angry at, and he was going to kill her for that before he became a Christian. So he wanted to finish his studies in theology, and so he tried to stay there, but he did go back to Nazareth as a Christian to try to convert his parents. And they they held court with the elders of Islam in the community, and they tried two times to stone him to death. And he didn't. He didn't die. So he went back. He had to go from place to place studying theology in order to finish, because they were after his life. Finally, ended up in the states, and he got married to a very Caucasian-looking woman, and they had a daughter. And then he happened to call his mother, and his mother said, "All the people who tried to kill you are gone. They're dead." Please come home. Please come back to Nazareth. So he went back to Nazareth, and he began reaching out to the young people and teaching them English and teaching them Bible. And he, the work has been growing there exponentially. Mm. It's been an wow. incredible story. And I thought, wow. That's a lesson in trust. Yes. Uh, but you think of what Paul went through. You know, He, he went through stonings. He went through uh, all this stuff. And 
All he wanted to do was live for Christ and to die as gain. He had no he had no worries about whether he lived or died. He could just keep going for Jesus. And I think when you reach that point, a lot of our worries and, and cares and fears diminish. Yeah. Anything else in this passage before we move on? Yes, it's really hard to relinquish your trust. It's really hard. To relinquish control and trust? Yeah, to put all your trust, just say, okay, Lord, it's up to you. You do it now. And not try to step in and say, but what about, what about, what about, you know. It is very hard. I had to do that, though, in teaching. First 15 years of teaching, I felt like a failure after every class. And totally incompetent. And it took me, I don't know, maybe it took me longer than 15 years, but one day I finally realized, you know, this isn't about me. This is about God. Yeah. And I, I said, okay, God, you take over. Help me to lean on you in the classroom and just go with you. And it took away all my fear, all my feelings of discouragement. I just went with God, and amazing things happened. Well, you can say that's what happened to Lindy. When he graduated from high school, he wanted to be a cop. He was not going down a good path. He was an okay kid. You know, he wasn't a disruptive kid. Mm -hmm. But when he decided after a year, because our rule was after they graduated from high school, they either had to get their own place or pay rent at our house. Or if they were in school full-time, that was okay. Or Mm -hmm. worked full-time, that was Mm -hmm. okay. Or worked part-time school, part-time work. Um, and so that's what he did. He was taking classes in Napa JC and then he was working at Safeway and cause it, I wasn't going to have a kid just sitting home playing video games all day. And <clears throat> after a year of that, he decided to come back here, even though he was a whole year behind all his classmates and he was here one year when he decided to go SMing. And that just, that that turned his life around. I don't think the SM experience per se turned his life around, but having gone through that and then coming back, you know, he really wasn't dating. He didn't have a girlfriend. It was like, Lindy, are you ever going to get a girlfriend? He said, you know, I just turn it over to the Lord. Bring her to me when it's time. And I was so frustrated. Yeah, but those who help themselves, you know, can help. And he just finally told me, enough. I'm, I don't want to listen to it. <laughs> and it was amazing that he just put all that trust there. And then you see his friends going through these relationships. And, <laughs> <laughs> and Linda's just cruising. <laughs> yeah. He's just enjoying college. And you don't know this, time. but an episode happened in the, in the department. With Lindy, that got him in a little bit of trouble. Uh-oh. And it had to do with my bulletin board out outside my office. And uh, I thought, you know, this is a kid that just needs some love. <laughs> and so I wrote a letter of forgiveness to him and said, you know, just just kind of poured it out. Yeah. All the love I could 
thing to do. And then I started praying for him. Mm. And that was about the time he, it was after that that he turned around. Well, hey, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So Bundy's long been on my heart. (laughs) Well, and that just goes to show you that there's other people doing things that you have no idea of, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and most of them you're never going to know about till later. And so. I've never brought this up with Linda. He yeah. would be embarrassed now, but, yeah, you know. I, he might not. He might, you know, if that really impacted him, he might actually thank you for that, you know, because he's that type of a kid now. Well, he got he got royally wrong. chewed out, I think. And I was like, no, no, I don't think this is the way we want to go. Okay, um... Phil, would you read 27 to 30? We're in chapter 1. Okay. Only let your conversation as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, and that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in with me. In me. Sorry. Okay, that word conversation has been revisited by New Testament scholars, and they... Don't think it means conversation as in talking with people, but rather the way we live our life. Um, hmm. That would make a little bit more sense, I would think. At least it does yeah. to me. So my version has only live your life in a matter worthy of the gospel of Christ. I like it better. For you, ha- he has graciously granted you the privilege of not only believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well. And I was just telling a story about we some. Uh, a former Muslim who became an Adventist and how he did you see that one I've seen a couple of them on YouTube but I don't know this one is no this one is at uh, Adventist World Radio on their website okay he went ended up his sister was in Austria and she sent him to Bogenhofen after he left home and he studied there to become a Christian It it's kind of an interesting story but he was his family and elders of the town tried to beat him to death. He was from Nazareth in Israel, and they tried to beat him to death. And he's back in Nazareth with all the people who wanted him dead, gone, and his house overlooks where they tried to stone him to death. And so he can look down and remember almost every day you know, how they tried to stone him to death, but he did, they couldn't kill him. And there's a statement in, in the ad that AWR put out for this story that at one point a cousin of his tried to stab him in the back and the knife on his shirt was blade was twisted mm-hmm. like this. Oh. So it didn't even penetrate. It's an amazing story. Uh, but you think of someone who's willing to suffer for Christ. I don't think we know quite what that is. But... Not anywhere near. It is is a privilege. Anything else in this verses 27 to 30? What does your version say for verse 28? 
Because I'm wondering what the context of the perdition um, is. It's in the middle of a sentence, so let me start with okay. verse 27. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent and hear you about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel, and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them, this... For them, this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation. And this is God's doing. That's a little bit more understanding than my version. It's interesting that he would say it like this. Not to be intimidated by your opponents, because if you're not intimidated, this is evidence for them of their destruction. In other words, you don't have what he has. And hopefully, I don't think Paul means that, 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 oh, good, they're going to be destroyed and I'm going to be saved because I'm suffering. I don't think he means it that way at all. I think he means that hopefully this will wake them up and, mm-hmm. and you're actually being able to witness to them in a way you couldn't have if they weren't persecuting you. Yeah, it's real frustrating if, um, if a person has no fear and you can't intimidate them with Whatever is being done, you know, yeah. they're at peace. Whether mm-hmm. they live or die, yeah. Paul, Paul caught the depth of that stuff so much. Whether they live or die, it's it's amazing. Paul's understanding of the gospel is both <clears throat> very rational and yet very integrated in his own life. Very experiential. Yeah. He seemed to have both sides of his brain working that at was. once. Yeah. It's just amazing. Okay, Daylene, uh, you want to read uh, verse chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. If you want to console my spirit, continue to grow in your relationship with Christ, love one another, submit to the Holy Spirit, and be merciful and compassionate to others. If you want to make me completely happy, be united, show the same love for everyone, and be one in spirit and purpose. But don't do this because you want to make a name for yourself among other Christians. Be humble and considerate of others, other believers. Don't think you're the only one who has all the answers. Don't become totally absorbed in your own spiritual growth, but take an interest in other people and help them to grow too. You need to have the same love for people that Jesus Christ had. From all eternity, Christ had the very nature of God, but it never entered his mind to go back to heaven to show off his power to the whole universe so they could see that through he, he that, that though he was human, he was still God. In fact, he has always been willing to see, put self aside like a servant without detracting from his equality with God, even though he took on man's nature. As a human being, he obeyed God in everything, even when God led him to Calvary to die on a cross for us. This is why God had. This is why God can exalt him because he is so selfless and humble. God has righteously given him a name above every other name in heaven and earth. The time is coming when all beings in heaven and on earth will bow at the name of Jesus Christ. Everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory. Of God the Father. That's a. Uh, this is just packed so full mm. of good stuff. 
And it just, that, that whole first section is such a powerful, you know, impact description of, of living the spiritual life or the spirit led life. Is, and, and it seems like the key word is humility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and I've come to the conclusion that there's just absolutely no love without humility. No, I can't. Hmm. The, the bedrock of love is that self-denial, is that humility. This kind of plays on the conversation we were having this morning. Mm-hmm. Sports. <laughs> Competition. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think it was Deterin in our class. He would always say there's only two things. It's either my way or God's way. It's either that centered toward yourself that whole selfish thing over here there to glorify God and to serve and alter altruism and stuff and you can divide everything <clears throat> along those lines. But it's so hard for us humans. We're just it's such an embedded part of sin is that that we we just have that. Even when we don't have any reason to be selfish, we'll be selfish. Well, we were we were noticing this on the other on the other chapter, chapter one, where Paul actually came to the place where living to live was Christ and to die is gain. And and he didn't care which he did. Yeah, true. So if I, live, wow, I, I that's love true. that statement in first Corinthians there, yeah, where he hmm. Yeah. But I live, fine, fine out it's gain. You know, just but boy if to come to that, yeah, it's a powerful. Yeah. Really freeing. He was definitely freeing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that's when you can live outside of yourself instead of always self-protecting yourself. Yeah, it isn't even survival instinct. You know, it's, it's quite a count, count, counterintuitive. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it boy, yeah. But our intuition, our intuition tends to rule us like a tyrant, and we don't realize that. But that gene, you know, some people are kind of have good genetics or inheritance, which seems to be a little easier. But do you really think that's just uh, that's kind of a daily embedded gift of the spirit to be? Oh, I I don't think we can produce it. I don't no. think either. I don't think humans. We just don't. <laughs> some people seem to be more generous. I don't think so. Mm. Uh, it just is a gift. Well, let's um, wrap this up with the reminder. Let this. Thought, let this, what is it? Let this. What what number? Um, two. Two. Let this. Be. Let the same mind be in you that uh-huh. it was in Jesus Christ. Okay, that's in chapter two. Good. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll find it.